We're, we just finished up a series about open doors and what to do when God opens doors for us, and we're starting something new today on heaven, and we're going to do this for five weeks during the summer. It's really kind of exciting to me. I'm very, very interested in heaven. Uh, I don't know what you think about when you think about heaven, probably pearly gates and gold roads or uh, clouds and harps or uh, grandma and grandpa and those kinds of things, but there is a when I was young and I was first becoming a Christian, the way they explained heaven was they said it's like church all the time. And they really liked church. And I thought church was awful. <laughs> like it was, we had uh, like hard pews and the pipe organ and the, the priest wore a dress all the time. And it was just kind of a, a place I was sure I didn't want to go to. So I was like, what's the other option? And they were like on fire every day, all day. And I was like, well, you know. At least it'll be warm, but uh, so heaven was the be uh, better of two bads in my mind when I was growing up. So it's been important to me to learn about heaven uh, and to actually know about heaven, especially if I believe in something like eternal life, because the time that I spend on this earth is going to be a few decades, and the time that I spend in heaven, according to what I believe the Bible teaches, is going to be forever a few millennia. And so the thing that when I'm thinking about spending my time, uh, the, what I believe about heaven should actually lower my stress level here on earth, should actually give me a whole different perspective on what I invest myself in here on earth, and just how I live should be affected by this, which is true historically as well. So we're going to look at the Bible today, and we're going to talk about it. We're actually not even going to get to talking about you know, is, there, is your dog in heaven? We're not going to talk about that this week. I will we'll talk about that. That'll be the week half you leave the church. But there is this, uh, no, some dogs, but not your dog. The, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the uh, all dogs, no cats. But um, it's in the Bible, I'm sure. We just haven't found it yet. But there is this, um, when you think about heaven, it, it really, or the afterlife, uh, in, in Jesus' day, there was a lot of the same thoughts that there are today, just they were expressed somewhat differently. In Jesus' day, there were ancient, like the, in, in the, just the pagan religions of the day, they believed different things like um, after you die, you become a god. And there's uh, major religions, uh, Mormonism teaches this, after you die, you, be, you become a god and, and uh, you, you have your own deal that goes on. And, and for the ancient pagan people, like the Caesar became a god in their world. That's a major difference from Mormonism is there you get some kind of new world. Um, but there's, there's other people that just thought it was over. There's a famous Roman line of thought like in the time of Jesus that said, uh, I wasn't, I was, I am not, and I don't care. Uh, because it's just, there it was not seen as anything beyond what there is today. Um, and then there was kind of like the soul goes somewhere nice. I don't know anything about it, but it goes somewhere nice. And, and then there were others in Jesus' day that believed um, that, and this is a, like, uh, there's Hinduism and Buddhism today that teach us things like this, that there's, like, you go for a while and you rest, or, and then maybe you reincarnate. And if you do good, you reincarnate up the ladder. If you do bad, you reincarnate down the ladder. Or, or like, what contemporary Buddhism would teach is that there is uh, uh, contemporary Buddhism. What Buddhism teaches today is that there is, you go into like you become a part of the universe as after you die, you become a part of the thing that is everything out there. But Jesus, when he grew up, was a Jewish person. And, and even among the Jews, there was a variety of views. 
one of which included this bodily resurrection, that God would resurrect uh, his people, the righteous people, uh, at the end of things. Uh, and, but it was kind of one of the outlier ones. Most of the Jews thought maybe it just ended or the soul goes somewhere nice, uh, which is a nice way to describe that thing that's going to happen. It's going to be nice. We're not sure. Some people will take the things that the Bible say literally. Some people will say it's a metaphor, but is, whatever it is, we know it's nice. And, and when we go there, it's the best option. And, but Jesus had this outlier view on resurrection where he believed something out there. And the very, very early Christians would talk about this, like there's writings and recordings of funerals, not recordings, written down recordings of funerals that the early, early, early church had, the very early church, where they talked about resurrection. And they believed in a, a bodily resurrection uh, that pointed towards something. And so for a long time, this is what the church believed. And this was the dominant belief. And most of the time now when we talk about resurrection, we talk about uh, the resurrection of Jesus. Like Easter will uh, be called Resurrection Sunday. But most Christians today don't lean on that resurrection belief. Uh, there's the dominant views among Christians, especially in our culture, is uh, there's kind of a universalism view. Um, this is uh, just kind of like uh, everybody goes to heaven. And whether they go to heaven immediately or they go to heaven eventually, like maybe some people go not to heaven but eventually get to heaven, whether that's a purgatory system or a, uh, a just kind of a, a holding, waiting system, or even a, you go to hell for a while and the bad is burned out of you and then you go to heaven for a while. There's these views that people hold in, in universalism where everybody goes to heaven. I will say this, that I think all Christians should wish that universalism was true, right? You should never, I don't believe universalism is, is what the Bible teaches, but it, it, I would much prefer if everyone went to heaven. It just makes sense in my mind because the people I know who I love who don't love Jesus or don't uh, have any relationship with God, I, I want them to in the better of the places that I believe the afterlife is. Um, then there's a, another view, and this was really, really made popular by like the Left Behind series. If you grew up in a youth group like in the early 90s and you read, you read the Left Behind series, or if you have Netflix, you watch Nick Cage in it because they recommended it to you and you watch everything Nick Cage is in, right? Have you guys, has anyone seen the new Left Behind? Yeah, me neither. So... Uh, <laughs> There's two Left Behind movies made a long time ago that had uh, Kurt Cameron in them. And the authors of the Left Behind series of books sued the producers of the movie for doing such a bad job because they thought it ruined their books, <laughs> which is awesome. When Christian writers are suing movie producers over their terrible books being made into terrible movies. Like, and the reason we like them is because they're so terrible. It's like, let us enjoy this like pop stuff. So... Um, but Left Behind, uh, it produces, it, uh, sorry, advocates or shows a view that is a, like, pre-tribulation rapture view where God comes and all the Christians who don't have any secrets uh, are raptured. And that means you're taken poof, somewhere else and uh, to go to a place that Jesus calls heaven or paradise or something like that. And then God does hellfire and brimstone to all the people that are left uh, so that they'll turn and become Christians too. And then when Jesus comes back, they include it. And all the people who didn't turn even on the second chance, it's, 
hell for them, right? So it's kind of this view that heaven and Jesus is this escape pod that we're going to go through. And the, the people who believe this, and this is what was dominant in my circle of Christian friends and influences when I was young, say, will say things like, it's all going to burn anyways, right? And if you read Revelation, only like one-third of it is going to burn anyways, but uh, that not to literally interpret something, but you, it's not all going to burn, even according to the book of Revelation. But there's a view that this is just all going to go away, and that there's this new heaven and new earth that is talked about in Revelation 21, and, and we're going to go there, and, and that's, that's the last two chapters of the Bible. Maybe the last three chapters of the Bible are really, really important when we think about this, but we're all going to go somewhere, so this doesn't matter. And what that leans into, uh, that group of people became fundamentalists and became evangelicals, like fundamentalism was part of that reaction and evangelicalism is part of this reaction to fundamentalism and then we'll react to evangelicalism in a couple of generations but we'll have this kind of viewpoint where we don't care that much for the things that are going on in our world we don't care that much for environmentalism i have christian friends good christian friends who won't recycle who live in your state and, and i'm like well to me that's a spiritual issue and they're like, well, to me, it's all going to burn, so who cares? And I'm like, okay, so we have a theological problem here. <laughs> like, there is a theological difference there that actually manifests, maybe some of you don't recycle because you think it's all going to burn. So by the end of today, give me 20 minutes. But there is, a, um, there is this theological impact or real-life impact according to the theology that we hold in our life. And what happens in our world and the way that we interact with our world is affected by what we believe about the afterlife. And there is, like, because it's a valid thing for things that you don't understand to say, well, I don't get it, doesn't really affect me, so I'm not going to think about it. But with the afterlife, that kind of thinking actually doesn't apply because there is this um, where you're going is going to affect the way that you live right now, right? If you're going away on your vacation, there are preparations that you need to make. You need to get things ready at work. It's going to affect the way you live right now because you're going somewhere. If, you want, if you're young and you're looking towards a certain job, it's going to affect the way you study in school. Like, I want a job that takes this many degrees. I need to get this much of a good grades. And you know what you need to do if you want to play a sport you, well. You need to do practice <laughs> right beforehand as it moves up towards it. And so there's this thinking that it doesn't matter what you think, but it does. And the dominant thinking, I think, in Christianity today has moved away from this understanding of resurrection. And not just that Jesus resurrects, but what the early church believed about resurrection is that all people will bodily resurrect. And there is this, the way this thinking. You can see it if you go back far enough before this kind of, it's called dispensationalist theology started. Uh, the people who were buried were buried in, the, if you go to like old, old funeral, like graves in like the, maybe the East Coast and in the England and stuff like that, they're, they're facing East because the belief was Jesus was going to rise in the East and so the people would just rise up and, and go that way and, and it would just be this wonderful walking dead moment and uh, they all assume they wouldn't be gross looking, but don't you like, kind of hope they are, you know? And, 
And, uh, but there is this, they would just, that was the direction that things were going to go. Well, I don't know where East is. That is the direction that people were going to go, and so they buried them that way. And, and, and they, for many, many people, a thought of like cremation when, with your body when you were done was insane. Why would you, but your, the cremation was seen as this unbelief in resurrection. And we live in a state, uh, the, we have like a, oh, the, we are the second place or third place for cremation rates here in Oregon. Uh, Washington and Nevada has us beat by 1%, and we're almost double what the national average is for cremation, which doesn't say anything except the belief concept of our people in Oregon is not predominantly affected by this traditional resurrection thinking. Now, personally, just in case you know people that are cremated, I think if God can raise people from the dead, he can also fashion them from the ashes, you know? I'm going to get cremated and spread it as far apart as possible because then resurrection would be really cool at that, oh, you know, moment. But there'll be, I also wear a belt always just in case I'm wrong about rapture. I don't believe in a rapture, but if there is, I've got a belt on because some of you will be flying through the air without your jogging pants, you know, and just, you'll be meeting Jesus with your drawers around, you know, that's not happening to me, right? I sleep clothed. I always, you know, like this kind of stuff. So theologically, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Let me start in the Psalms. The Psalms were the songbook of the Jewish people, which Jesus was a Jewish person. And the Psalms talk about, there's this little end of this Psalm, Psalm 96, it'll be on the screen here that I'm going to read to you, uh, that actually talks about judgment. And it talks about judgment in a weird way. Let, let me see this. It says, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. A couple of things that you notice right away here is that there is this um, happiness in this passage with the judgment of God. And when in our culture, when we talk about God will judge, that's an incredibly negative feeling thing, isn't it? When I would say God will judge. But for these people the Jewish people who, when this song was written and in the time of Jesus, lived at a time of disadvantage. They were not the dominant force in their society. And if you're the dominant force in your society, as in the Western world, we're the dominant force in the world, to judge us is kind of intimidating because we're not used to that. And, we, and who would judge us, right? What, are we going to get Canadians to come down here and judge us? What are you, like, the UN? The UN, right? Like, I'm learning these things for my citizenship test. I have to say, the UN, like that. But, uh, so there is, this, there is this under, like, we are dominant, and so being judged isn't something that naturally we think is good. But for a people who are disadvantaged, who believe that they are living according to the justice of God, and there's an oppressive people, and for the Israelites, it would be like the Babylonians, or the Assyrians, or the Syrians, and at the time of Jesus, the Romans, were oppressing them, and they weren't working, and judgment for them would be justice that God would bring against the people who oppressed them. 
And so for most of history, for the people of God, up, up to this point anyway, the judgment was seen as this fantastic time where God would make everything right. And for the people of God, judgment is this thing that we appreciate that someday everything will be made right. And so whether the, it kind of, judgment should give you a bit of freedom in your world, the things that you don't think are right, or that God, sorry, maybe not that you, the things that God doesn't think are right will be made right and God's judgment. And the second part to this is that it's strange how happy nature is. Like the earth is rejoicing, the sea is roaring, all the fish, the sharks are all smiling, the fields are happy, and the trees of the forest are singing for joy, which sounds like a bad cartoon, but it is this, the nature or the material world is expressing its joy and its gladness and its happiness at the coming judgment of God coming on the earth. Because at the beginning of everything, there was God's presence existed like with Adam and Eve in the garden. And the Bible teaches us that sin broke that. And not just in a purely spiritual way, but in a real physical way. And the effects of the curse that were pronounced on Adam and Eve were actually had physical consequences that were going on as far as uh, Adam having to work the, the soil with his hands and interact with nature in a physical way and the pain of childbirth that was promised to Eve and, and just those different things were physical consequences that were happening because of a decision that they made that broke their shalom or broke their peace with God. And so this judgment that is coming from God isn't just something that the Israelites were happy about, but it was something that they believed all of the material world would be happy about. Because as much and as awesome, like when, if some of you, when we think of heaven, you think of that beach that you were at when you were on vacation, right? But that was heaven. And for that experience, as awesome as it, is, as it is, or when you go to nature, or you go up on the mountain, or you're hiking in the trail, it's actually a broken and decaying thing up till this time of Jesus when this was written. It's this broken and decaying world that we experience and this thing that's coming after judgment will put everything right not just you not just me not just bringing me back together for my spread out cremation but actually bringing all of nature back together and making things right and making things the way that god dreamed of them becoming it's not this is a side note going back to the garden of eden the Garden of Eden was not created as a final thing. It was created as a thing with potential. And so there was a natural growth that was going to happen out of the Garden of Eden. Like God started this thing and it was going to become something. And that's the same kind of direction that everything is going. So let me talk about um, 1 Corinthians and resurrection. 1 Corinthians is this letter that the uh, Apostle Paul writes, who writes most of the New Testament. It's a letter to the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth... It was a really challenging time because the city of Corinth was kind of like, it was like Las Vegas if Las Vegas was a port and a port on the other side too. And like naval ships were going through and it was better to land on one side and there was a whole slave class that would move things off your ship over to the other ship. So that if you go there now, they have like a, a, a canal that you can go through. But there, is, there was a whole system of movement in the city of Corinth. So it was kind of like, 
the most radical city up on the hill they had a like a this um a, a greek god a temple to a greek god that would be worshiped with the, like there were temple prostitutes that would, you would tell who the temple prostitutes were because they would braid their hair so corinthians actually tells them hey d- don't go out at night with your hair braided duh uh, but the Christians who literally interpret that will not braid their hair. And uh, it's kind of funny because it's actually saying, don't dress like you're for sale. And uh, it's, um, we interpret it to not braid our hair. So if you're here with hair braided today, know that 2,000 years ago in Corinth, that was hot. All right. Um, Was that not the right thing to say? Was that too far? That was okay. I'm looking at my wife, so just give me a second. (laughs) Not for me personally, just for Corinthians. (laughs) All right. Let's talk about resurrection. Paul writes to these people about resurrection because their belief system was so impacted by the culture around them. And I'm going to read parts of chapter 15. This is what it starts with. Now... I would remind you, brothers, and he would include sisters naturally, but in their culture that would be just what they say. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to, with, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with our scriptures. And so there's this start out when we're talking about resurrection to understand that Christ died for our sins and he was buried and he was raised on the third day. And so fundamental to what Paul wants to teach the Corinthians was that resurrection begins with the resurrection of Jesus. And their understanding of resurrection is because resurrection of Jesus, resurrection of us. Our understanding, if you go to any Easter service, probably Easter services that I've ran, is because of Jesus' resurrection, we get to go to heaven. Do you catch that difference? That maybe our soul goes to heaven. But the very early church believed because of Jesus' resurrection, the rest of us resurrection, or the followers of Jesus' resurrection. And so this resurrection of Jesus means something very, very different. Because in our culture, the primary question is, are you going to heaven? Not what happens to you after after you die, but are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? Is the only conversation that most Christians have. Whereas the world around us is having a multiplicity of conversations where resurrection is what we speak to that conversation. Verse 12 uh, says this. Oh, sorry. Then there's some, uh, I'm skipping over. I don't want you to think I'm skipping over just for no reason, but this some examples of the sightings of Jesus after he was resurrected to say that real life people saw him. Now, this is verse 12. If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how come some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So if you don't believe in any resurrection at all, then you can't believe in Jesus' resurrection. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified, we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, 
if it is true that the dead are not raised. So that sounds confusing, but it makes sense. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sin. And all who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So if Christ's resurrection isn't real, then at death, everything is just over. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So if he's saying if Jesus only affects the way you live here on earth, so if you see Jesus as a good teacher or a good philosopher, not a resurrected person, a resurrected man, God, then your faith is to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, which is Adam and Eve, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as all in Adam die, so also all in Christ shall be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, or the beginning of the harvest, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet, which is a quote. But when it says, and this is a quote again, all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accept, expected, mm, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. So the, you can't put yourself in subjection to yourself. This is kind of getting philosophical. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who puts all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. Now, if you're into philosophy, this is fantastic. If you're not, you're like, why is this even in the Bible? All right? <laughs> but what this is basically pointing to is that if Christ wasn't resurrected, if we don't believe in a resurrected Christ, then all of Christianity and all of the whole faith system of following the teachings of Jesus doesn't make any sense at all. And I can get into, and we can talk about like the reason that I believe in resurrection, but that is for another day on a much cooler temperature. But there is this understanding in the very early church that they believed in the resurrection of Christ. And it wasn't that, like there were many other Messiah figures who presented themselves that the Romans killed. And none of them said, it's all right, in three days he'll be back. Even with Jesus, no one actually believed in this, sorry, maybe some outlier. The vast, vast, vast majority of people didn't believe in this resurrection understanding of the Messiah. That Christ would, when he died, when you look at what the disciples did, it wasn't just wait three days. It was give up, say that was a good three years, I thought that was something, it wasn't. Now I'm going back to my old job, all of them. The disciples themselves doubted Jesus' own resurrection. And if you're trying to prove a resurrection, you don't get the people who are closest to the guy to doubt it. And so there is this kind of realness to the resurrection that you can see in the scripture and in the very early church in the way that they believed because, for me, it had to be true. And so, and not just like I'm throwing this out there in my faith, like I look at it and it seems like it's true. And so when there is this 
a lack of understanding or a lack of belief in Christ's resurrection or in any resurrection, then the Christian faith completely falls apart. Because when we believe in resurrection of Christ, then we understand that the resurrection of Christ is what the Bible calls first fruits and will follow the resurrection of the saints, which will follow the eventual handing over of the kingdom of Jesus or the kingdom of God to God himself, which ends up in this thing that God talks about where all uh, evil and all power structures that are destructive, uh, all uh, systemic ills, all are destroyed, including death is destroyed, which is a biblical description of what we're going to call the new heaven and the new earth, which is described at the very end of Revelation. So, oh, and finally, what he's describing, if Jesus is physically resurrected, which the Bible teaches, they touched him, he ate, he was physically resurrected, but it was a strange kind of physically resurrected because apparently he wasn't subject to having to use the door to get into a room. He just appeared in places. And so there is this differentness to it, but it's not unbodily. And so if Jesus is the first fruits of that resurrection, then you can know that your resurrection, if you're a follower of Jesus, will be in the same vein. So in heaven, this leads me to my little theorem, there's no doorknobs, which is kind of a fun thing because you can tell the people aren't supposed to be there because they keep trying to open the door, right? And that's how we can get around that. All right. <laughs> this is the amount of time I spend thinking of heaven. So I've designed my mansion and the things I'm going to do there, and there's no doorknobs. But if you've ever put a doorknob on, that's the gospel, that there's no doorknobs. But um, when we think of heaven, or when we think of our physical resurrection body, Sometimes, if we have this belief that this is all going to burn, my physical body's going to go, and my soul goes somewhere happy, it's actually a misunderstanding of what the Bible teaches. Because your soul doesn't just continue to exist somewhere else, your physical body resurrects. The tomb was empty, the body was gone, it wasn't stolen, it didn't decompose that fast, it didn't become a part of the universe around it, Jesus wasn't reincarnated into something else. He wasn't reincarnated into himself. He was resurrected. Let me continue to read this. This is verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? Well, with what kind of body do they come? And the answer is, you foolish person. <laughs> what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat, or of some other grain. But the body, but God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. So the stars differ from star in glory. For stars differ from star in glory. So it is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, 
there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, a man of the spirit. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of man of dust, as the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. A lot of times we can read what I've just finished with there and say, there's a physical body and a spiritual body. And eventually we'll go from this to that. And this is bad and that is good. It's, there's a, the earliest Christian heresy is called Gnosticism. And this was the Christian heresy, that the material world is bad, the spiritual world is good. And if we just take this um, and just read it, you can fall into that. But what Paul is trying to say in his culture, in his day, the same way judgment means something different to us, than it does in Psalm 96. The word spiritual for Paul doesn't mean unbodily. What it means is an immortal body that comes from heaven. Whereas you have a mortal body that comes from earth, and then you will be resurrected into an immortal body that comes from heaven. And it might not look very much like your body. It will be perfected but we don't know totally what that means. We've seen Jesus, and we'll probably look like Jesus. So we won't be floating clouds of auras or your soul in some kind of weird way. You won't be as tall as you wish you were because nobody said that about Jesus. Oh, he's strikingly more handsome. Nope. Uh, so if you've got that goal for heaven, you should probably get rid of that one. But there is this kind of newness to it to where it's unrecognizable when they're walking on the Emmaus Road, they don't recognize Jesus, but it is recognizable in the same way that if someone's wearing a mask, you can see it in their eyes sometimes, or if you haven't seen someone for years and you don't recognize them, but then they smile, oh, now I know who you are. There's going to be something about it that was perishable and something about it that is now imperishable, but there isn't a distinction as far as it was bodily, and now it is spiritual. And a misunderstanding of this passage is actually used to say, oh, it's all going to burn. This is all going to die and go away, and then we're going to have spiritual things. But what that's saying is that Jesus is bodily resurrected because they touched Jesus, and he ate, and he walked around. He wasn't just a, a spirit that he didn't pass through Jesus. They didn't eat, and the fish just fell on the ground. It was this, it was real in a material, physical, touchable, interaction way. And so if our body, like this passage says, resembles Jesus' body, then we can know there will be a real, physical resurrection. Which points to what the Bible says is this new heaven and new earth, which we'll talk about another week. At the end of everything, when you die, you're going to go somewhere nice. It's called heaven sometimes in the Bible. It's called um, paradise a couple times in the Bible. But that's not your end destination. And it's not purgatory. If you die before the return of Christ, like most of us probably will and most people have, as much as the return of Christ could be imminent at any moment, there is this... Um, it's not a purgatory, but it's a heaven, and it's being with God. 
but there is this new heaven and new earth that is coming. And the new heaven and new earth, because the resurrected body, if your immortal body is like a seed that produces the resurrected body, the material world around us is a seed that's going to produce the new heaven and the new earth. What that means is, it's not just all going to burn. It's going to be made into something. And I want to read you one uh, little thing. This, this is John chapter 20, the Gospel of John, Jesus' best friend. And the Gospel of John, he was actually like a good writer. And he would put little literary things in there. If you're into reading, you might actually be into this. When Judas leaves Jesus, it says, He went out and it was night, which we already know. But he's not describing the weather as much as he's describing the tone of what's going on. Because it was night, and it was the time when the things that happened at night were going to happen. In John chapter 20 is the resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to read you three verses. Verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. On the first day of the week. Verse 19. On the evening of that day, comma, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews who wanted to squelch the resurrection, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you on the evening of that first day, the first day of the week. And then verse 22, And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. He leads into these two, there's two sections about his resurrection. One where they discover it at the tomb, one where they're all together in a room where Jesus shows up. Both of them are described in this way, on the first day of the week. Now, if you look at the calendar, for them, it was the first day of the week. But we all know that, and it doesn't need to be said, because we know the way that the resurrection works. We know it's the first day of the week, because he was died on the second or last day of the week. One, two, three, there we know. Mentioning it twice shows the obviousness of the literary device that is happening. That it's literally the beginning of something new. The resurrection of Jesus isn't just a moment in time. It's an end to the constant decay that was happening in the world and the beginning of the formation of the resurrection, not just of Jesus and not just of the Christians, but of creation. So that resurrection isn't something that happened or is going to happen, but it's something that is happening and happened and going to happen. Because on the first day of the week, Jesus started doing these things, and then he breathed the Holy Spirit into them. And they became beings that weren't of natural seed or dirt seed, but were of the empowering Holy Spirit were of heaven. And so, as Christians, if we have a viewpoint that says everything's going to burn, then we actually deny the teaching and the life of the Bible and Jesus. Because as Christians, resurrection isn't something that we celebrate on Easter. Resurrection is something that we practice all the time. When the church goes and serves those who are disadvantaged, those who are vulnerable, when we go on Saturday and paint a school, it's not because we're a service club. It's because we are active in the participation of the resurrection of our world. When things that are disordered are put into order, it's because you're participating in the resurrection of this world. 
That means that your accounting job, when you're putting numbers in columns and it works, you're participating in the resurrection of our world. When your relationships, your marriage, and you're raising your kids or you're taking care of your parents, when those things happen and people are, who are in vulnerable states or dependent states are moved into places of comfort and joy because they're experiencing resurrection. Resurrection happens all the time around us. If we don't believe in resurrection, then we can very easily become like a fantastic Facebook Christian where we can just put up stuff that condemns people and condemns just our systems. We can stop recycling. <laughs> like literally, it would be a good spiritual decision if you don't believe in resurrection to stop recycling because there's no point to it. But if you believe that Jesus actually raised from the dead, signaling the beginning of a new work of God, which is growing into this thing we call the new heaven and the new earth, which eventually, and we'll get to this in coming weeks, which eventually will be the place that we live forever, then resurrection changes everything. Let me pray for us and then I'll give you a blessing. Lord, for those of us here, there are those of us here who maybe don't know you or don't have any exposure to this thinking of the afterlife, we pray that you would bring us clarity and that you would bring us a sense of yourself and a sense of your spirit. For those of us who maybe had an opinion about the afterlife and, but it was just kind of popular or maybe we had no opinion because it was boring, we pray that you would give us the conviction of, of knowing that our life here is so short and eternity is so long and allow us to know about our destination and know about the return of Christ and the end times and the judgments in a way that causes us to live in the most Christ-like way we possibly can. Jesus, may your spirit be in us in the same way it was in the very early church and may the hope of resurrection fuel us to be co-creators with you of this new heaven and new earth that is coming that is true, that is real, that is not just some aura spirit blob that we're going to, but allow us to enjoy the glory of your resurrection, the glory of your creation, and the glory of our relationship with you in that. By your name we pray, amen. Let's stand. I'll give you a blessing. So may you know the resurrected power of Christ in you. May his Holy Spirit empower your life in such a way that you participate not just in your life, but in the creating of the new heaven and the new earth where you're going to spend a very, very long time. God's grace be with you. See you next week.